Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be speaking with Gary Johnson. He teaches professional selling in the university. He's going to share with us today what he covers in the course and some brief highlights. He's also going to speak about how to deal with a non-team player. And in order to succeed, plan for the end. And next week, we're going to be speaking with Jeff Manning. He's going to speak to us about setting commissions, the biggest mistake a company makes when structuring their team, and do you want a gunslinger or cowboy as a salesperson? Really looking forward to this, and please, uh, please enjoy this conversation that we have with Gary Johnson. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Gary, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, let's start with a, a short story about how you got into sales. How I got into sales is probably, well, I don't, I, I won't even say probably, I'll say it's definitely like most people. Um, I fell into it, uh, came through college, served uh, eight years in the, in the military as a naval aviator and uh, decided to leave and uh, had uh, two bachelor's degrees and a master's degree, an MBA. and. Um, wanted to do something different with my life and other than getting into business didn't really know which functional discipline to pursue uh sales seemed to offer uh some attributes that uh that i was looking for and uh i thought heck let's just give it a try and uh lo and behold 25 plus years later uh here we are uh, having learned a lot along the way and made some money here and there as well and uh, met a lot of great people along the way Nice. All right. And you were a general aviator. Does that mean you were a pilot? Uh, I was a naval aviator. So I was uh, a right seater or back seater, as they say it, in weapon systems and so forth and so on. Yes. What kind of planes? Uh, Navy's S3 Viking. We were carrier based. I served off the USS Enterprise. And uh, this was back before the uh, days of the collapse of the Berlin Wall. But we were tasked with finding Soviet submarines in the day uh, during the Cold War. And uh, fascinating time. Wow. I think that's for another podcast to uh, dive deeper into that. Sure. <laughs> All right. So what's really interesting uh, that I think the guests should know is, is that you're actually teaching uh, professional sales at Bentley University. Yes. And now this is a full curriculum? Yes, uh, Bentley is one of uh, universities are coming around to this idea of teaching sales. It was, uh, I think, uh, I'm speaking for the academic community at large, uh, and, and, and back in time, but I, I think it was thought of as more of a, as a trade skill. Um, but it's it's certainly become more than that. And uh, Bentley is one of 24 universities that actually offers it as a uh, as a major. And so there's a full curriculum supporting that major. I teach the foundation class called uh, Effective Selling. And essentially, it's uh, juniors and seniors, some who have chosen the professional sales major, some who have not, uh, but just want to try their hand at sales and, and learn more about it. Okay. So w what are you teaching there? What is effective sales? So I, I would call it, you know, to the... Uh, to the uh, sales professional that's out there in the corporate world, it's essentially a sales 101. Uh, we promote the class uh, to the university at large as, uh, you know, look, everyone needs to learn how to sell, whether you're going into accounting or finance or any other discipline, you undoubtedly will be at stages in your career where you will need to sell an idea uh, or a concept or, or something that you've, you've, you've come up with. Um, and, uh, for those of you who think you might like sales, you might want to take this, uh, curriculum or at least this class to get exposure to it. Uh, not only, you know, to the basic sales process, which I teach as, uh, qualification, gaining interest, discovery, pose and close, uh, but also to learn, um, 
you know, the ups and downs of a career in sales. There's uh, there's many advantages. And of course, there's disadvantages that come along with that as well as there are with any profession. So uh, it would give the uh, the student, you know, great exposure in that way. Okay. So you're teaching full cycle sales, uh, the full cycle, plus also a little bit of emotional support uh, for the salesperson. Yes, yes. And we, um, we, we break it down to a very role play based, uh, real world scenario based uh, uh, topics and, and, and exercises and instruction throughout the class. Uh, I have two uh, foundation projects in the class. One is individual based, one is group based. So we start with the individual based project. It's actually something that I pioneered. I have the students on their own, uh, raising money for a local charity uh, that I'm very proud of. Over a couple of years, we've raised uh, more than $100,000 for this charity. But what it does for the student is it uh, helps them to understand how to better qualify uh, their, their, their prospect, how to approach that prospect with some sort of interscanning statement, how to handle objections, how to do uh, a bit of discovery, how to close, how to follow up and, and that sort of thing. And in the group project, here the, uh, the student learns how to work within a team. Uh, I'm a big proponent, largely from my uh, Navy days, uh, in teamwork. And uh, while sales can sometimes be seen as a lone wolf profession, uh, for instance, the high-performing sales rep that uh, is in it for himself or herself and in it for the money and thank you very much but i'll go do it on my own we see some of that from time to time um nevertheless at the end of the day uh when you come back into the corporation there is the need to uh exercise a lot of teaming and teamwork skills uh to bring the final solution to bear and, and that typically looks like cross-function uh teamwork um working with others within the sales organization, perhaps relying on a sales engineer and your sales manager, that sort of thing. So uh, the group project is based on, on uh, the need for strong teamwork. And they're, they're selling uh, a suite of document managing systems to a, uh, uh, to a small enterprise client in this uh, team-based scenario. I think, uh, I think companies should just send their new hires to this curriculum just to... Uh get the training and off, off board the training? Well, he, here's, here's what I think the corporation needs to, uh, needs to know, you know, about a new college hire coming from a curriculum like this. Having uh, recruited, hired, and trained uh, countless uh, sales reps over the years, uh, there, there are a couple of key performance indicators and metrics that we we stare at all day long and they cause a sales manager fits and that is uh you know finding the right person uh the time to ramp uh and what it's going to take from you and your organization to get them to ramp quickly and then uh gosh forbid that that awful uh metric down at the end of the road attrition um we all know uh, the cost of a bad hire is, is, is huge in all organizations for any job function. But certainly, uh, if you look at all the hard and soft costs of attrition in the sales ranks, it's, it's big. You've got, let's say, somebody who has uh, some new salesperson who's taken over a relationship with the client. Uh, who now no longer is there. It's got to be backfilled. His backfill needs to be explained and, and ramped back up. You've lost all that investment and training and, and so forth and so on. So it's uh, attrition in the sales ranks is, is, is huge and it needs to be mitigated. It needs to be mitigated. Yeah. So the, the corporation looking to hire salespeople can look at a college uh, undergraduate experience in sales as something that will undoubtedly reduce their ramp time once they get on board, uh, that they're finding somebody who has been exposed to the profession of sales and understands its advantages and disadvantages and has decided to, quote unquote, let's say, take the plunge. Uh, so there's, there's no guesswork on either side here when, when that offer agreement is signed. Uh, 
So the, the, the likelihood of attrition uh, coming down, the ramp uh, coming down, and then their overall productivity when they hit the market is, uh, is, is going to be increased. And I, I like to think, you, you know, we all, I've sold in a variety of industries, software, telecommunications, learning and development, and so forth and so on. We all sell solutions that, that uh, might tend to decrease a company's costs in a certain area. Uh, or increase their productivity in a certain area. This college hire that comes out of a curriculum like this, you're you're achieving both of those those objectives. You're reducing your costs and you're increasing your productivity and your associated revenues. Um, I can't think of a better product to buy, <laughs> if you will, than that of the new college hire coming from this type of curriculum. Yeah. Now, what if somebody? Let's say I'm a I'm a new I'm a sales manager, and I'm looking to hire a new salesperson, and I can't find anybody with a, that's gone to this uh, curriculum before. What are some of the key things that you found, uh, the key indicators that you found that of students that will be successful in their position? Uh, th there are several traits, but I, I would say innately for, for me in the interviewing process. It's uh, does this person have an innate natural sense of curiosity to add, and, and at least a basic foundation of knowledge in how a business operates? And can they ask the right questions? Can they ask a lot of questions? Can they, they keep the drumbeat rolling, if you will, to be able to learn enough about their client that the company that they're working with so forth and so on, to be able to find a potential need or, or challenge that exists that heretofore may not have been known um, and, and, and upon which they can go on to, you know, close on a particular solution. And in that interview, I expect to hear uh, a lot of questions from that candidate. And uh, I can't tell you how many interviews I, I thought that went well and uh, throughout the whole interview, and I'm, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that this will be a good interview and result in a hire, because we all know that the, the work and energy and time put into interviewing, uh, only to see at the end of the interview, uh, do you have any questions of us? And uh, they say, well, I've talked with HR, I've talked with uh, that sales rep, I've talked over here. I, I really think I've got all my questions answered. I, it, for me, end of interview. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, it, it's not going to be a good thing. Um, <laughs> and what about people, though, that are, are nervous uh, and they, they just don't have the... It's a stressful time to be interviewed. Uh, I, I, I would suggest now I'm, I'm not... A, well, I, here, here has been my experience. If even... We all expect a certain degree of nervousness for sure. Um, I'll, I'll just uh, add a little bit of a side. One of, one, of, one of the people that got assigned to my sales team, I didn't actually hire him. Uh, he had a very bad stuttering problem. And when I got him, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a lot of work. Uh, it turned out, long story short, he turned out to be a very strong sales rep for us. And, uh, you know, his stuttering problem didn't mitigate. but he. He did have the capacity to ask questions uh, and to keep the client engaged. And uh, I, I, I would I probably would pass on that candidate who is suggesting, well, I'm too nervous to ask any questions. You, you know, in the military, I'll go back to the you'll you'll find a lot of references back to uh, my Navy training. Um, you have to fight the way you train uh, or you have to train the way you fight. I'm sorry. And if. If you're nervous in a role play to the point where you cannot talk, if you're nervous in an interview to the point where you cannot ask questions, it probably is not an occupation for you. Absolutely. It, it is. That's your job. That's your role. That's your whole purpose is to be asking questions as a salesperson. So no matter how nervous you are, that just means that you need to start uh, at an earlier stage uh, of the process and gain the confidence. So let's talk about the sales cycle itself. Uh, and let's start from the beginning. Uh, how do you look at qualifying uh, people before reaching out to them? 
Right. Qualification is such a huge and necessary component. Now, where it falls in the sales process is going to vary depending on what that sales role is and how much of that qualification is placed uh, on to uh, the marketing function um, and so forth and so on. So whether whether it appears after you've gained interest or before you've gained interest, whether it is on the shoulders of marketing or sales, it's important to make sure that the uh, that the prospect has the capacity to buy your product or service. And I say that not only from a functional point of view, for instance, perhaps a VP of sales will never buy this type of product, but a director of IT might, uh, but also from a company point of view and size of company and all that. And I, and I would venture to say, if I did a research study on this, uh, if you took the average salesperson's uh, pipeline uh, and looked at those opportunities within the pipeline, if there's slippage, if there's accounts and opportunities that are just stagnant in that pipeline, uh, if you did a better analysis on those opportunities, they're probably not qualified to buy your product. And this is exactly what happened or was a situation that I, I walked into when I I took one of my assignments a few years back. Um, there was so much uh, stagnant activity or lack thereof within these pipelines. And we went back and took a look at the customers that did buy over the past uh, years. And uh, we came to some conclusions in terms of types of companies, i.e. The, the vertical that they, that they serve in, um, the job function that typically buys the product or service. How big those companies are by revenue, by number of employees, where those companies are by geography and, and whether they are enterprise or small to medium sized businesses, so forth and so on. And when you, uh, when you get to that, uh, that description of the candidate or the prospect, the company who's most willing to buy your, your pipeline start to move. You're spending all of the right time in the right places. Efficiencies, uh, go rocket skyward. Um, it's, it's really such a huge step. If, if you, if you botch that qualification or if you don't do it, uh, to start, you're going to waste an awful lot of time down the road. Yeah. I, I see a lot of, uh, newer salespeople in the industry that they always overqualify because they're scared to let something go and they're scared to miss an opportunity. And I always try to teach them that like, look, okay, maybe one in a thousand you'll miss. But that time wasted on those other 999, you're wasting on the ones in a, one in 100 that will buy. Yeah. Classic uh, uh, forecast session, uh, Adam, with a, with a, a sales rep that, that's not performing and his pipeline is, is not healthy. Uh, how do you know that this, uh, this particular opportunity is, is, uh, should be in your forecast? Well, they're really excited about the program, Gary. Really? Tell me about that. Oh, they, 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 they've had five demonstrations already, five demos. Uh, they brought a new person in every time. Uh, they've asked a lot of questions. They ask a lot of questions, Gary. And we look at it and say, well, what's the compelling business reason for buying this product or service? And uh, they start to come up at a loss for that, right? Uh, how does this fit, uh, Mr. and Ms. Sales Rep, with our target account profile do they or don't they um and you start to come up at a loss for that explanation so yes uh very very important to do that qualification step up front yeah definitely either that or they're talking to other salespeople. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly well there 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 are if you take procurement classes and that sort of thing which i highly recommend any potential sales rep or existing sales rep does Companies are smart to this. Uh, they're, they're training procurement people and, and other people how to uh, take the sales pitch, if you will, and and they they will take you on a ride down to nowhere and and spend a lot of time with you, and you get nothing in return. So uh, be wary. Yeah, yeah, it's a rabbit hole that you can keep chasing down and down. Okay, so now you're qualifying. Um... What did you, how do you work the process in as far as keeping momentum? How are you teaching that? Well, I, 
you know, so well, let's go through. I think the momentum really, uh, it, if you look at the sales process, it really takes a tipping point or does not take a tipping point at the discovery phase. So you've you've gained interest with a good interest gaining statement or elevator pitch, as uh, often as as described. Um, you get into that discovery session, and and uh, what I teach anyway, you've you've got three objectives in that discovery session, and it may not, especially with the larger enterprise clients, it's not going to happen in in an initial discovery session. It's going to happen over multiple sessions, but um, identify that compelling business reason. What is the business reason for considering your product or service? Uh, it's got to be a business reason that's going to help reduce costs or help increase productivity or both. Um, and if you can't demonstrate that, show that, understand that in the context of that company and the, the, the environment in which they operate, it's going to be a tough hole to keep momentum. Uh, the second thing is identify your competitive landscape. Uh, so often I get the sales rep who says, oh, I'm not competing against anybody. And uh, I kind of stare out the window and look up at the ceiling and I go, uh, I think you're likely wrong on that point. Oh, no, no, they've told me they're, they're not looking at anything else. Well, I don't know any business professional that lasted any sort of time in their role, no matter what it is, that uh, didn't take the due diligence to look at at least two solutions for a given business problem or challenge. So or at least somebody else in that organization is looking elsewhere. So you need to understand who that competitor or competitive landscape is uh, so that you can, you know, keep the momentum through your sales strategy, whatever strategy you've chosen to pursue, um, you know, to keep that momentum going. Um, and the third thing is, 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 and just as important, if not more, is the decision-making landscape. How are decisions made in this company for products and services like this bought before, who who signed off, who who were key stakeholders, who were and there's there's organizations like I'll give a plug for Miller Hyman right here. They they do an awesome job of helping uh, lay out the framework for decision making and and who are the players, who who are the economic buyers, who are the influencers, who have final authority. And and there are good ways, good subtle tactics that can be employed to really understand and, and truly know that decision-making landscape so that you're you're tugging on the right strings at the right time and that momentum uh continues throughout the sales process so i hope that answers this. It, it does answer the question but then uh i think everybody's curious as to what are those tactics to to find out that information uh sure so uh the the classic example we get back uh when asked who's the competition well uh nobody well you should ask well, I don't really want to ask because if I bring it up, they're going to go look at somebody else and I don't want them to look at somebody else. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, I understand the concern, but uh, trust me, they're looking at somebody else and you need to know before you adopt some sort of sales strategy going forward who it is. So without saying, you know, have you looked at, uh, uh, you know, XYZ company, you might. And you should uh, have in your your book of knowledge or in your bag of tools uh, a lot of knowledge on your competitor called XYZ company. And let's say that that XYZ company, uh, I don't know, let's say, um, well, let's because of the recent example of Amazon Prime here, let's say, uh, are you, and let's say Amazon is the company that they're looking at for whatever reason. You might say, uh, are you looking for companies that offer a, 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 a day in the year where special discounts are provided? Um, and, and they may say, well, yeah, that's important to us. You know, it's important that, you know, in one day of the year, but blah, 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 dot, 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 right? Uh, that can lead you down a very narrow path of who actually does that uh, in that competitive space. And so, you know, you can leave that session with a pretty strong level of confidence that, you know, oh, gosh, I think they're looking at Amazon or somebody like them. How am I going to compete here? Why not take the approach of uh, being way more direct and just asking them, not asking them, 
I, I guess I was just like, my approach is very direct. Who else are you looking? Uh, are you investigating or are you testing? That's one way to do it. Well, a couple things that, that I'll have to say on that. Uh, so sales is without a doubt, and most things are, but sales for sure is an art and a science. And there's a style element to this too. Um, some of the best sales reps I've known over the years are that direct type of salesperson with a very direct approach, um, kind of an in-your-face, if you will, <laughs> type of person. Uh, but I've also seen that backfire. It depends, you know, on situation and circumstance and what you're comfortable, you know, living in. Um, I would say this. It's one thing to be direct and say, are you looking at Amazon? Yes or no. Uh, and you're going to get a yes or no answer to that. Um, if you leave it somewhat open-ended, however, uh, are you looking at anybody else? Uh, obviously, that's a yes or a no question so it could be considered closed but you're gonna get you're gonna get a vague well no not really because they don't want you to know who else they're looking for right so uh, it, it's okay to be direct uh if that's commensurate with your style um make sure though it's the right direct approach that you take so that you get the answer you need Absolutely. And be able to read the subtle, sub, subtleties. Sure. Yeah. Because uh, how I would approach it is if uh, somebody says, oh, no, not really. I would say, well, well, who have you looked at? Because then that's not a yes, no question. It's not closing it off. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it kind of forces an answer out of them most of the time. Sure. Yeah. You know, for instance, you know, this is a document management system we're talking about here. You've bought these, your companies have purchased these in the past. The last time you made an effort to purchase a document management system, who were the, the companies you looked at or looked for, right? Okay. So now we've talked about qualification. We've talked about uh, keeping the momentum flowing. What about negotiation and, and closing? What are some of the, some of the biggest things that you, you teach uh, for the, on this section? Sure. Yeah. Negotiation is an entire class in my, uh, in my syllabus. Now, I will say, too, is negotiation is an entire course uh, at the university I teach in and at many universities. So I am not even going to come close to giving it any justice in the few minutes that we have together here. But it is so, so, so important. Um, one of the role plays that I give, it's, it's, and it's, it's a fun class, uh, especially if you put this in a role plays, uh, to watch how people perform in an, in an uneducated, unaware form of negotiation. Um, I put them in the role of renter and, uh, and landlord, and it's time for the rent increase because the landlord needs to offset certain cost increases and so forth and so on. Uh, the renter is comfortable in their lease, uh, has been for a number of years, and of course doesn't want to pay it. And to see how all that uh, transpires through the course of the role play, you know, we break them up into teams of two and all that sort of thing. It's so, so enlightening to see the types of, uh, to see how people react in situations like this. It's all over the map. And of course, uh, for a company to be, uh, in their results to see sustainability, to see scalability and all that sort of thing. You've got to be sure that your, your, your salespeople are taking the proper negotiation stance and, and tact and using the right tactics and, and all of that. Um, personally, I, I, I think from a negotiation standpoint, I, I think knowledge is absolute power. It's knowledge is power in a lot of places, but for sure negotiation. And if you don't have that knowledge about your about your competitor, if you don't have that knowledge about your buyer, you don't have that knowledge about your marketplace and your price points and, and all of that, um, you're, uh, you're going to be uh, behind in that negotiation process from the, from the outset. And so uh, very important to make sure that you have knowledge. And then secondly, uh, set a go, no go. Uh, line in the sand, the, the line in which you will not go behind, you will not back into uh, or back through, and uh, you, you'd, you'd walk before you ever 
you know, went past that line. So, okay. Now you say to know the buyer, I think this is something that's key. And I'm, I tried to teach, uh, uh, my team a lot is to put yourself in their shoes, uh, to really under, not emotionally, but mentally to understand what they know, what to try to understand anyways, what they know and what they see and what benefits they, they will need and they have. I think the, for negotiation, it's really important to understand the other side's perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, 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 will, I will tell you uh, this too. I'll, I'll put in a, a plug here for you know my favorite. You asked earlier, Adam, and it was a good question. Um, what's one of the more important attributes for, of a salesperson or, or is in some way shaped, um, shaped that way in your questioning? And I, I mentioned asking questions and doing proper discovery. Akin to that uh, is the listening skills. And when it comes to putting yourself in the same boat as the buyer, so to speak, uh, listening skills get you there. Absolutely. I would argue that most of us, uh, the most of the population, most of human society does not know how to listen at all, period. And it's never, ever taught. If you think of the four forms of communication, reading, writing, speaking, and listening, how many years of coursework have you taken in reading and writing and speaking, right? How many courses have you taken in how to listen? Probably, if you're me, none. Until you got into <laughs> Until you I'm get, definitely there with you. Yeah, and, and you learn the hard way growing up that if you didn't talk, you didn't get. And so you just talk, talk, talk. Squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? I mean, all of these axioms that you learn growing up, you just learn how to, you know, if, if you keep your mouth shut and you sit quiet, people are going to roll all over you. You know, get up and speak your mind and, you know, all the axioms. And, and so that's what we do, especially salespeople. They get, give a salesperson an ounce worth of knowledge about your product or service. I guarantee you then that's all they have. They will go out to that customer and sit in front of them and just, we, we have a saying, I hope it's appropriate for this, but show up and throw up, right? Uh, and that's all they do. And it's, it's not going to, it's not going to get you anywhere. And there is huge, huge productivity gains for the, the salesperson who really, truly understands how to engage in, in the act of listening. And, uh, and so we teach it throughout our class. I think this is uh, one of the most important skills. Uh, I mean, you say curiosity, which is definitely there, but it's also the ability just to shut up. Yes. Especially after asking or giving pricing. I, I keep telling, telling my team, give the pricing and then just shut up and see what they say. And if there's uncomfortable silence, that means they're uncomfortable too. And they're, it's human nature to want to fill in that void. So they're going to speak. Yes, absolutely. They will. We, and, and one axiom that I like to, uh, you know, that counteracts all these ones we learned growing up, I use the YTYL. You talk, you lose. Yes. Period. Yeah. Uh, another one I like to share is, uh, let me ask you something. When you came from that appointment, did you feel like you needed a glass of water or a jug of water? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, I was really thirsty. That's because I was nervous. Well, maybe it was because you were talking too much, you know, uh, and they sit there and they look quizzically at you and they say, yeah, you know what? You're right. I talk too much. Yeah. Need a glass of water. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think this is, uh, for me, having this podcast is really allowing me to use those skills in, and fine tune them, the, the listening part, because I want to always know what to say next. But then I have to just shut up and listen. Well, that's, that's the biggest weakness that, 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 uh, or the biggest uh, trait that leads to this weakness in listening. We listen with the intent of responding. And it, it's a natural tendency, uh, for sure. It doesn't make you a bad person or anything. But, but you're in a tennis match, and you've just served one over the net, and you're waiting for that return volley. And you're saying, if it's hit over here, I'm going to do this. If it's hit over there, I'm going to do that. That's... What that's what your mind is saying uh, to you, and uh, when you're busy calculating that way in your brain, I, I'm sure some brains have the capacity to do it. I know mine does not. 
I, I, if I'm thinking that way, I'm not thinking about listening to the client. I've just listened to him. Now I'm going to, I'm going to decide I've listened enough. Now I've got what I need. I'm now when he stops talking, this is what I'm going to say, you know? Um, and that's not good listening. No, not at all. All right. So we've gone through the pretty much the full sales cycle on a very, very high level. Uh, <laughs> I think this is one of the highest levels that you could uh, overview a, a full sales cycle on. Uh, you said that one of the parts that you teach in the curriculum is uh, teamwork and collaboration. Collaboration. Uh, can you tell me some lessons that you that you teach or that you cover uh, in that? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll go back to a uh, a time when, uh, and again, uh, in my military background and on teamwork and all of that sort of thing. Um, and I've, I, I almost left sales, to be honest with you, when I first got into it, because I, I, I saw around me a total lack of teamwork um, on the part of the individual sales performer. Uh, these people were go-getters. Uh, they were highly successful in and of their own right, but they were, they were leaving dead soldiers along the side of the road, <laughs> meaning... Uh, internal relationships were getting broken. Um, there was a hooray for me to heck with you type of mentality. And it, it was disheartening to me, to be honest, at the start. Um, and uh, But I, I came around and said to myself, in every endeavor that I take on and when I start to manage and lead sales teams, this will always be a fundamental component. Um, and, uh, and, and so I made uh, opportunities available for all of us to engage in teamwork exercises. So there was, there was, and then sometimes I, I, I need to take my own medicine. We had a teaming exercise at a large uh, corporation. Uh, there were probably like five or six in a team and there were probably six or seven groups. And the, uh, the subject of the exercise was a survival exercise where um, you were crash landed in a plane uh, you had you were in the Arctic environment. Uh, many who are listening uh, probably have been through a similar exercise. Uh, and you're given a list of things that uh, you have uh, left at your disposal uh, as a result of the crash. Uh, uh, matches, uh, one blanket, you know, two two forms of rations, so forth and so on. And you're you're asked through a series of very calculated questions which items to bring, uh, where are you going to bring them? Are you going to leave the crash site? Are you going to travel? Are you going to find a destination? Or, you know, what are you going to do here? And, uh, and I was in this group and everybody knew my background and they knew that I had been uh, through numerous survival training exercises uh, as a naval aviator and uh, too many to, to, to mention. And, uh, they all sat there and they said, well, Gary, you've been through all this before. You just figure it out. Tell us what to do. And I reveled in the attention. And, uh, yeah, they're right. I'm the expert here. Uh, they're counting on me, which, you know, I felt good about it. So you always feel good when people are counting on you. And uh, I suggested, you know, we do this, we do that, and so forth and so on. Well, uh, to get right to the end of the story, our group, <laughs> we turned in a very uh, prominent last place finish amongst the other groups. And uh, it was a very embarrassing and forthright moment for me to learn from. So. <laughs> yeah, ego, ego is a killer. Well, and, and in other instances, in, in, so, so having learned that, I, I made sure, look, collaboration is huge, huge. The human mind, no matter whether it comes from marketing or sales or IT or product development or research and, in, and development, the human mind has a lot to give to a subject at hand or to an opportunity at hand, a challenge at hand. And it's so important to make sure uh, that you glean uh, from all the participants in, in a situation like that, uh, their input. And, uh, oh, I get so frustrated in some of my assignments where I was, I was the VP of sales and I was the only member of the senior executive team uh, who had grown up in, in selling. And a sales issue would pop up and then say, well, you're the sales guy, you figure it out. Or you're the sales guy, you make the decision. 
you know, on let's say incentives or spiffs or quarterly incentive program, you know, well, you do what you want to do. You figure it out. And I, well, I'd like your feedback. I'd like your input. Well, you know, that's your role. And uh, it leads to a bit of frustration if, if you don't get that, that form of collaboration. So. Yeah, you need to be able to bounce ideas off of uh, other people and hear, hear sometimes uh, what, what other people yep. think of it. Absolutely. All right. So if you're teaching teamwork uh, or you're leading, let's say you're leading a team and you get this uh, independent contributor that, that doesn't play well with everybody else, how do you get them to snap into place? Oh, good question. Um... You know, you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them all drink. And uh, uh, that individual contributor who is very comfortable in his own skin or her own skin doesn't want help from anybody else. Uh, does if, as long as he or she is not a detriment to the people around him or her, and is fairly self sufficient, uh, I'll do what I can to. I don't want to say isolate, but uh, to to keep that person from having to engage in otherwise teamwork related activities that others need. I, I don't know if I'm staring around a direct answer there, but um, uh, you've, you've got to you do one thing on motivation, right? I can't motivate you. You are born with a certain level of motivation or and or according to psychologists, somewhere around the age of five or six, it was it became and cemented in you or it did not. And uh, all I can do as your manager is create an environment around you in which you can excel best at whatever your individual strengths are. And uh, if this is a Lone Ranger type who's very successful, doesn't need a lot of help, doesn't want a lot of help doesn't want to participate in these stupid teaming exercises like, uh, you know, how do you survive a plane crash? Um, I'm probably going to try to find ways to keep him or her out of it. On the other hand, if he's, if he's not finding true success and or, gosh forbid, he's, uh, his actions and, and words are detrimental to the people around him, uh, there will be some, uh, let's say, counseling of a regular basis there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough, tough situation to be in. All right, so we're we're running low on time here, um, and, but I want to know of all the subjects that you're teaching, what is the most beneficial uh, and has the largest impact uh, in the ability to sell uh, in in the real world? Uh, oh, there are so many of them. I, I you know, handling objections, uh, closing techniques. Um, by the way, I'm not a big fan of closing techniques, to be honest. I, I believe if you perform the sales process the way it should have been performed along the way, if you did everything the best that you could, the best way that you could do it, given what's in front of you and around you, that you don't need closing techniques. The sale will just close on its own. Um, but that's certainly, you know, as, as, that's certainly a class within the curriculum. Handling objections is big. Uh, gosh, people, People don't, uh, they don't like to handle objections. It's handling dirty laundry, if you will. But for me, objections are a salesperson's best friend because they tell you if they're real objections, then they may not be real. But if they are real objections, it tells you simply what's in front of you in closing the sales. So uh, that's a big one. Uh, but I'll, I'll go right back to an, to an already stated topic, and that is listening. Uh, if you don't have the ability to listen, Let's, let's look at it this way. The human being's greatest need outside of sales, outside of all of this, uh, the human being on the face of this planet's greatest need, aside from, you know, food, water and shelter, is the need to be understood. And I asked my class, I said, think about your best friend. Don't tell me who it is. Just think for a moment about your best friend and who is he or she? What are their names? When did you get to know them? And what do you like about them? What do you like about them? And they will all say, if pressed, or they'll volunteer. They'll all say, you know, he or she doesn't often agree with me on certain points and ideas, but he or she understands me. And in terms of building trust with a client, 
the best way I've found to build trust with a client who has never bought from your company before, never seen your product or service, has never seen you or met you. If you can simply demonstrate a capacity to listen, that person will come around to you and begin to trust you. And when you've got that full level of trust, you're not a salesperson anymore. You're a partner. I guess I'll leave it at that. Wow. Wow. I, I I couldn't agree with you more and I couldn't think of a better way to to end this conversation. So Gary, thank you very much for joining us. Is there a way that people could uh, reach out to you? Sure. Thank you, Adam, for having me too. It was quite a pleasure. Uh, absolutely. Um, you can find me at uh, area code 978-273-5011. Email at gjohnson1234 at comcast.net. Uh, and also, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, uh, linkedin.com slash linked-in slash Gary Johnson, one, two, three, four. So thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. I'll put a, my, my pleasure and I'll put a show, I'll put show notes, uh, for your LinkedIn, uh, a clickable address for everybody listening. All righty, Adam. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. To contact Adam about consulting services or speaking engagements, visit StartupSalesPodcast.com or email StartupSalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Gary, we've got five final questions uh, to end things off here. What is your favorite sales or leadership book? Um, I would say this book uh, uh, transcends both. Uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins came out a number of years ago. Uh, it's a really, really good read uh, based on a lot of research about successful companies, uh, good to great, uh, uh, how they became good, how they got to great, what the difference is between good and great. And and the idea behind the, the this book is, and the idea I like to bring to uh, all of, uh, my challenges in the work environment and the home environment for that matter, simplicity, you know, and, and, uh, a lot of these companies, they, they focused and delved on into, uh, very simple key metrics that were an indicator of the business's health or lack thereof. Um, and you can, you can get to those metrics, uh, in managing human performance as well. So, um, good to great by Jim Collins. Okay. Do you have someone that you follow or read for sales or leadership advice? Uh, I, I like a lot of them. I, I read a lot of Jack Welch. Um, it, he's not necessarily just sales, of course, but he's, he's into business performance and all of that sort of thing. Uh, Jeffrey Gittimer, his, his little red book and that sort of thing. They're, they're good pick-me-ups uh, here and there. He's, he's really good. Um, Hopkins, uh, I, I remember reading that when I first started out in sales, uh, and uh, it, it was a good, uh, a good foundation next to the very, uh, you know, formal sales training I was getting at the time. Um, so yeah, those would be a few. Are you available twenty four seven, or do you have strict personal time boundaries? Yeah, I twenty four by seven uh, for sure, and if I can't be now. It's got, that's got to be tempered a little bit, right? Uh, it's it's got to have uh, some boundaries available to it. Um, and and by the way, society I think is pushing us that way hugely. I mean, when you think of the, uh, I remember a day when the cell phone number was, uh, you know, purposely kept off the business card uh, because the cell phone was just for twenty four by seven things and and your friends and family. And now look at it. I mean. You're not a salesperson unless that cell phone's uh, right there, prominently displayed and, and on your personal being at all times. Um, so yeah, available 24 by seven. And if you can't be because it's a vacation, I do truly believe in a work-life balance uh, and you do need time away uh, just as long as you let you know your, your constituents know uh, that you'll be unavailable. Uh, that's certainly okay. Um, but otherwise, yeah, and it's within reason. If somebody's calling you at uh, three in the morning because they can't sleep because an accountant is keeping them up at night, um, well, guess what? You're keeping me up. 
night too. So misery doesn't always love company at this time of night. So uh, maybe you can save that conversation for you know eight o'clock tomorrow morning. But um, but yeah, generally speaking, I think so. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite tool used for sales? Oh gosh, the advent of CRM. Uh, what a blessing. So which which ones which CRM tool is your favorite? Oh, Salesforce. What one piece of advice do you have for all the founders, CEOs, or sales leaders out there? Well, I have a couple of things. I, I would say if, it's, if, well, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're a startup or, or if you're a somewhat mature business. Uh, you've got to, we, everything, we always, we always said in naval aviation, your landing grade depends on your start. So the start, is at some point in the landing configuration where you're you've got that aircraft set up to land correctly. You're on airspeed. You're on altitude. You've got all you know essential points of the checklist uh, delivered so that you know it's likely you're going to have a successful ending. Uh, for the start in in corporate America, it's recruiting, hiring, and onboarding. And if you don't have that down as a process, uh, if you are willy nillying that thing. If you've got people in and out of those responsibilities, uh, you know, contract recruiters and, uh, you know, and not not to mean the, the work that they do, but, you know, if there's no stability in what you're doing here and if it's not a process, boy, you better you better make one and you better fix it uh, and make it collaborative. Uh, get people in on panel interviews, get multiple perspectives on a candidate all that sort of thing. There's a saying out there, get the right people on the bus. You also have better have the right people in the right seat. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and, and make sure that onboarding program is there. What are you going to do with that new hire? I would suggest that that new hire is making really important decisions about his longevity with your company in those early days. And if he is left to the wolves, uh, to look through the internet, uh, to source his own leads, and to look, you know, in the old days, the yellow pages. And if he's not getting any training and he's being forced to learn the hard way, and you just stick him with another sales rep or two, he or she's probably not going to last very long. I know that sounds obvious, but I tell you, I've seen it in so many places. So get your recruiting, hiring, and onboarding processes in place and, and make sure they're scalable um, would be, you know, a good first start. Good, good. So hire the right people and train them properly. Yep. Gary, thank you very much. Okay, Adam. Thank you. My pleasure.